0: Our lesson tonight comes from the book of Zechariah. Once again, as we've been looking at it, uh, we've been looking at it last week, and we're going to continue uh, this evening as well. Looking at chapter 2, there's a lot of visions in Zechariah, and it was tempting to try to talk about more than just a few at a time, but there's so much there I wasn't willing to throw all of them into one or two lessons. So we're going to focus just tonight on chapter 2, of the book of Zechariah. And we have here, as we begin chapter 2, a, uh, a vision, uh, another vision, this time of, of the measuring line. And we begin in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and following, looking at uh, this vision. And the measuring line is seen elsewhere in Scripture as well. We know in Revelation, uh, it's mentioned how the city was measured. As well, I believe it's mentioned there two different times, at least there in the book of Revelation, and uh, again used here in the book of, of Zechariah, this measuring. And looking at Zechariah chapter 2, beginning here in verse 1, uh, he says here, then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now we have here this idea the Bible says he raised his eyes, so it would seem. As we're going through this, remember, he's seeing multiple visions in one night. As we mentioned before, he sees all these in one evening. And so it would seem, as you look at this, that he's contemplating one vision, and he raises his eyes to see, yes, another vision. And here he says, he raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what it's width and what is its length. He goes on to say here in verse three and four, uh, "And there was the angel who talked with me, going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of all the multitude of men and livestock in it.'" And so we find here, as we look at this, uh, that this is they are going to be uh, this city is going to be occupied by uh, so many people. And so many livestock here in verse four. But we're going to back up first on um, verse three. We find that it's not just one angel that's mentioned here. Remember, angel simply means messenger, and they came from God. So these are messengers from God. We know if you look, if you do a study of angels, there's a lot of differing ideas about it. But the simple definition of angel is simply a messenger. And so these messengers are coming out. And what are they doing? Well, they are giving messages. They are relaying messages. And so they fit that description very, uh, very well. And so one, he says, is coming out. And another was, uh, one was going, one was coming out there in verse three uh, to meet him. In verse four, he says, You said to him, Run, speak to this young man. And this, uh, to my knowledge, seems to be applied here to uh, Zechariah, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns. Without walls, So he's describing how the city is going to look, how many people are going to be in it. It's going to be inhabited, he says, as towns uh, without, w- without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. And so you picture here, if you will, a city that is just simply overflowing with people and with livestock. And now Jerusalem was, was, a, was a large, uh, a decent sized city, maybe a large city, depending on how you want to look at it, what you want to compare it to but you get the idea very clearly there's a lot of people are going to be there and there's a lot of livestock there. And and also think about not just of being heavy, heavily populated, but also they're going to be blessed as well. I think as we continue here in the next few verses, we'll see they're going to be blessed uh, not just by being there, but because also who is there with them. Now if we look at verse, um, we look next here in verse four, he says, uh, because the men Will be without walls. Uh, The city will not have walls, at least not built by man. Now we know at other times we find numerous cities who do have walls. Remember we talked about before, Jericho no doubt had walls around it and other cities did as well. It was very uh, well, something was done often for cities to have walls around them for protection and sometimes even people would live on the walls showing how massive they were. But this wasn't the case here, at least not at this point in time with Jerusalem. And we find here next in verse 5 what's described as the wall of fire here in verse 5, which is very interesting because we realize why the wall, the city did not have a wall, not just because of how many people were there and how many livestock was there, but verse 5 really describes the wall as being God. He says, For I say, says the Lord, I will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst." And so a wall was not necessary for protection because God would be their protection. He would be the one protecting those people there. In verse five, God would be their wall. His His protection here is described as a wall of fire, and no doubt this was this was God uh, showing His His strength. It was, wasn't literally a wall of fire going to be around them but the strength and the intensity of God's protection around the people. Not a literal wall of fire, but he was no doubt going to be protecting them. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of war movies and documentaries sometimes. Depending on what's going on, sometimes they will drop a bomb or or a certain weapon, and it will create, at least for a brief period of time, it looks like a wall of fire. Have you ever seen napalm being bombed sometimes, being dropped? It was... Basically, that was kind of a clearing idea, but some are, are dropped very uh, uh, precisely to create a brief wall of fire to kill and destroy certain certain things. And here in verse 4, this, or verse 5, or this is how God's protection is described. Well, can you imagine in your mind a wall of fire and how hard it would be to penetrate a wall of fire? You're not going to want to stick your arm in there. Now again, this isn't literal, but it shows God's severe and strong protection around her, her being there, that city. And then notice the last part here in verse five, this really denotes some of the, some things that's going to come as a result of them being there and God being, being, uh, proving of them. We find in verse five, he says, I'll be the glory in her midst, which means he's going to be among the people there in verse five. Now he also says, he says, I will be the glory, which means God will be receiving glory from those who are living in the city. And so they're going to be glorifying God because He is in their midst. He is approving of them. They are they are coming out. Uh, they're going to be those who you know God approves of them because they have repented or are coming out of sin. And so He is protecting them. The city is overflowing with the amount of people who are there. God is going to be glorified in their midst because why? He is with them and He is protecting them those individuals who are there in that city. And so that's the idea we found here in the first few verses here of Zechariah chapter 5. And as is, and next we find here, the you know, this is spoken of what's going to take place there, that they're going to be going to this, to this city to be protected. But it wasn't yet that, that was not yet taking place. As we find the next few verses, they are to first flee from where they are coming from. Which brings us to our next main point here: the idea of to flee Babylon, or as we find there in verse six, it says here, "Up, flee from the land of the north," which is a reference to Babylon. So, looking at verses six and seven, he says here, "Up, up, flee from the land of the north," says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. So they have been spread spread all over Babylon. They've been taken into captivity. And now that he is bringing them back from all the places from which they have been spread, there in verse six, and that again, that land being a reference to the land of the north being a reference to Babylon. And as you continue reading, as we saw uh, last week, towards the end of chapter one, you remember Babylon was was put forth as the uh, as the four uh, as the oppressor, and then you had also later the the four. Uh, you had the horses, and then you had the oppressor, which was representing uh, Babylon. Then you had the horns, which was coming up. Well, you remember we said Babylon was going to bring Israel into captivity. They were going to punish them. They were going to persecute them. And then now they're fleeing here in chapter two to flee from Babylon, from their oppressor, because just like we saw back to the end of chapter one, do you remember God was going to bring people upon their oppressors? There at the end of chapter one, looking at verses. Uh, twenty verse 18 through 21 deals with the uh, the horns there being a reference to the horns and the craftsmen and how God's going to use another army or another nation to come up and to attack Babylon. And so here now, here we are in chapter 2, and the idea is before that happens, they are to flee in verses 6 and 7. up east, He said in verse 7, up Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon there in verse 7. And so they are to flee from this place. Looking next at verses 8 and 9, we find here a reference to, in, I mean, we have a lot of phrases that really catch our eye. You know, in chapter 1, it was a return to me. In chapter 2, to me, there's also the wall of fire. But then you also have the phrase in verses 8 and 9 about the apple of my eye, which really is a reference to God's people. And being the most sensitive part, and the most sensitive, uh, the most precious, you must say, thing to God—that is, them being His chosen people. Now, if you look at verses eight and nine, He says here: "For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you; for he who touches you touches the apple of His eye." So, as you look here at verse eight, those who had plundered Judah—that is, God's people, spiritual Israel, the, the faithful. Those who had plundered Judah had touched the apple of God's eye and when Babylon uh, when Babylon uh, excuse me, when, when Babylon took Judah into captivity it caused God pain and, would, and he would deliver Judah and punish Babylon he says there in verse 8 he sent me after glory he's going to bring glory to himself and by doing what verse verse 8 the nations which plundered you he's he's going to, he's going to uh, plunder those who had plundered his people that is Babylon. For he who touches you, that is a reference to God's people, he says, those who touch you touches the apple of his eye. And so they touch that which is most uh, precious to him. And now the apple of the eye is also the most sensitive part of the eye. This is how the people are described. Thus they touch an area of God that is most sensitive to him, his chosen people. Uh, looking next at verse 9, he says here, For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So we look here in verse 9, we really see this idea of how easily God was able to overcome them. He says he will shake his hand against them. Uh, some have described this like holding up something and shaking it loose. Others have described uh, holding up something and shaking it and it you know, things falling out. Or some have also described this as the idea of God just simply waving His hand and boom, they're, they're you know, being destroyed. How quickly He comes against them and is over to overtake them. Uh, so He says, For surely I will shake my hand against them, that is, those who have oppressed God's people, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. That is, they, they will become at the mercy of those who they have oppressed. Here are the servants, that is, God's people. He goes on to say in verse 9, Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now we look here in verse 9, how are they to know that uh, this was an an act of God? Because of what has taken place. Because how easily the Lord overtook them. Because their oppressors are overthrown. Uh, We also can compare this same idea we see in verse 9 to Isaiah 19 and verse 16, where the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts again shows God's power over the wicked. And so as you look at these first, first nine verses here, again, verses one through five, how God is going to, uh, the, the city is measured, how the, it's going to be overflowing, how God is going to uh, be their protection for them, and as a result, they're going to glorify God in verses one through five. And then here we are, verses six through nine, God is going to take care of their oppressors, right? He's going to bring out his power against them. They're to flee Babylon, and then he's going to punish Babylon. Why? Because they have touched the apple of his eye. There in verse eight. Now we continue here in verse ten. We find a section which I've labeled this simply "Sing and Rejoice." And this is really a reaction to what God has done for them. God has is going to prepare a place for them to dwell in safety, as we saw in verses one through five. He's going to overcome their oppressors, as we saw that in verses six through nine. And now here in verses 10, uh, to the end of chapter, we find they are to sing and rejoice, and we see why. Verse 10, he says here, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to God's faithful people. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So we find here in verse 10, this appears to be a reference to the coming of the age of Christ, the messianic age. Uh, They were to rejoice because of this, the time of the Messiah, the time of Christ. They were to rejoice because when Christ came, he'd be preaching no doubt the gospel and people who obey would be added to the body of Christ. And so old daughter of Zion, here's a reference to, uh, to spiritual Israel, which we are today. He says, behold, I am coming, future tense, I will dwell in your midst, again, future tense. Uh, Look at verse 11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. This is a reminder and really compares a lot to what we find also there in the book of Joel about how many nations will flow into it, referencing the church, right? Many people coming from all different backgrounds will be able to be a part of the church based upon their obedience to the gospel. Looking at verse 11, we find many people from various backgrounds would come to the Lord. They would come to the city, as you find there in verse uh, verse 11. We also can look at this from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, uh, where, where it's contrasted with that which was before Mount Zion, that was, that which would, they would inherit. And we find there in Hebrews 12, verse 22, again, the reference to spiritual Israel and spiritual Judah, what, what Christians are a part of still today. And then we also find here in verse 12, verse 11 as he says, and I will dwell in your midst, but wherever God dwells is holy. It doesn't mean a specific country or a specific area, but the idea is wherever God's people are, He will dwell in their midst so long as they are faithful to Him because wherever, wherever God is, it's holy, it's holy grounds, we say sometimes. Uh, not, not a reference to a specific country because we know as we look into the New Testament, when the church is established, they're in Acts 2 moving forward. The church people are scattered and various, and the church is, is growing at various locations. Thus, not one, but many. And so, wherever God's people are gathered together, he dwells in the midst of them. Now, we look at verse 13 here. Excuse me, verses 12 and 13. He says, And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land. And will again choose Jerusalem there in verse 12. Again, a reference, like I mentioned before, there in Hebrews 12, verse 22. Uh, he will take possession of, and he will again choose Jerusalem, there being, they will again be his people there in verse 12. But then notice verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Now, this silence is a reference to really the idea of, of listening and, and paying attention, right? You know, when I was in school, I don't think I'm alone in this. We've all heard teachers say, be quiet. And what was the point of that? So you can listen to what I have to say. And I've done some subbing and I've heard teachers say that. I have said it. Others have said it because the point is, be quiet so you can hear what is being said. Well, here in verse 13, it's the same idea. Be silent because who is speaking? It's the Lord. It says in verse 13, be silent all flesh or everyone. Before the Lord, so the wise so they can listen, for He is aroused from His holy habitation. So they are to give the proper respect here to God by listening. We know, you know, there are certain events in life where being quiet or keeping our voices down is respectful, isn't it? You know, it's not just when you go check out a book from the library and they, you know, shh, you know. We're talking about. Funerals, it's ideal to be quiet, right? Memorial services, it's ideal to be quiet. And the list goes on and on because it's a sign of respect for what's taking place. And here in verse 13 again, it's a sign of respect because what is going on? Well, the Lord is speaking, and they were to listen to Him. Now, we think about these things today, just in these these 13 verses, which... There's a lot said, but yet at the same time, 13 verses isn't that much. But we find in these these verses that God has made certain promises, and we can learn from the things we find here that's taking place. And one of those first things we notice goes back to verses 4 and 5, and we touched on this this morning as well, where the faithful should allow God to be their protection. You know, back in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, God is referenced as a wall that's going to be around Jerusalem, being around His people. Now that was contingent upon their faithfulness. So long as they followed Him, He would be their protector. You think about having times in the Old Testament especially where it's shown in battle that they are protected by God and God is with them because of their tremendous victories and how it becomes very clear that they depart from God and go their own way, as the book of Judges mentioned there this morning, how when the people started doing what was right in their own eyes, though God no longer was pleased with them, and they were defeated. And they continued to lose battle after battle until they came back to God. Uh, if you remember there in the book of Joshua, they actually lost their first battle at Ai because God was not with them because they just went up without even consulting God. And they lost. And it wasn't until they came back and humbled themselves before God that they went back and just not just took Ai, but several other cities as well. And so the faithful should allow God to be their protection, as we saw back in Zechariah 2, verses 4 and 5. God protects His servants by answered prayers and through His own will. That is, God knows what is best for us. We've talked about that before. God knows what we need. We, We also find that same idea there in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, When Christ talks about, do not worry about today what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on, for God knows you need all these things. So God protects and He also provides as well. Only the faithful have access to such blessings, because we know that when people walked away from God, what happened? Well, things like being taken off into captivity happened. That's what Zechariah was talking about, right? Bringing them back there in chapter two from all the places in Babylon they've been scattered and bringing them back. So they can ultimately go to uh, Jerusalem. There, as mentioned there in verses uh, four and five, and so only the faithful have access to such blessings. Only the faithful have God's protection and God's uh, provisions provided by Him. To have God as your protector again, you have to have. You have to be faithful to Him. And our second point is: rejoicing will come for the faithful. Rejoicing will come for the faithful. We you think about how many things God has done, maybe in your own life, you think about how God has blessed you, God has provided for you. And, you know, we may not have the best of the best, so to speak, but all of us this evening came from our nice, warm homes. We all came in our very comfortable cars. We all have our nice clothes on our back. And we fail and sometimes realize how much God has been taking care of us. But not only that, that when we are faithful to God, he gives us blessings that are far greater than those material things. When we are faithful to God, he, allow, he allows us to have our sins forgiven as we repent of them. When we're faithful to God, he allows us to one day have heaven as our home. He allows us to enjoy fellowship with him, and with all the faithful. And so blessing upon blessing, so long as we are faithful to God. We think about rejoicing will come for the faithful. Well, in Zechariah's time, Christ was future tense. Well, they're going to rejoice knowing that Christ, the Messiah, was going to come? Well, they should. He was coming. And we know as we look in Matthew's account and the other gospel accounts, He no doubt came in the flesh. And we find it also there in the book of John. For us today, we can know what it means to be a part of God's family and have true reasons to rejoice, because the Christian is not concerned about the same things that ungodly, worldly people are concerned about. If you were to imagine your, mind, you imagine your mind, if you will, for a moment, a person who is a, a, not a Christian, has, wants nothing to do with the church, what are, what are they focused on? And this isn't meant to be intact, but what are they focused on? They're probably focused on money, which is not wrong in, in its proper context, because we needed to survive, but they're focused on money. Maybe they're focused on uh, fame, becoming popular, well-known in their community. Maybe they're focused on uh, engaging in pleasurable events, which if they're not a Christian, it could involve uh, many sinful things, including drinking and smoking and all types of things like that. And the list goes on and on. It's far different from what the list of a Christian would be, right? Because the first thing on the list of a Christian is be faithful to God. The first thing is be faithful to God. We sometimes use that acronym of joy, right? Jesus, others, yourself. Well, it's not false, is it? We put God first. We put our family and others second, and we work out ourselves last. In the world, that's not the case. The world doesn't even put their family first half the time. They put themselves first. Well, the Christian's list of things is far different, and so we have much different reasons to Uh, many different reasons to rejoice and be glad when you think about what God has done for us. We think about the point. some of the points we find here in Zechariah and in chapter 2 as well, and that is that God wanted to save and protect His people, and nothing has changed today. Why have a wall of fire around Jerusalem? Because He wanted to protect His people. Why bring them out of Babylon? Because He wanted to protect His people. His whole purpose was to protect them and bring them to a better place, not only physically, but more importantly, spiritually as well. When we think about Zechariah's time, again, nothing has changed. Sin is still punished, and the righteous will still be blessed by God. Because those who refuse to obey God, well, many would die. They may die in captivity, they may die in the way into captivity, the way out of captivity, they may never make it to Jerusalem to be able to experience. Some of those blessings from god and so sin is still punished while the righteous will still be blessed by god now as we think about these things this evening we think about Zechariah, and we think about what we have seen over and over again in the modern prophets we have seen the same theme for a good reason that sin is a constant problem among god's people rebellion is a constant problem pride arrogance, the refusal to do what God requires. And what happens when well, God deals with those people? If we're not careful, we too can be one of those people. So we think about Zechariah here in chapter 2. We think about that measuring line. I kind of think about it this way. Would we fit inside that measuring line? Because its purpose was to measure, measure Jerusalem where God's people were going to be. mean, it was going to be this big, and there going to be this many people there, and it was measuring, which is symbolic. But would we fit inside of that measuring line? Because in order for us to do so, we have to be faithful to God, don't we? In order to be have that blessing of having God's protection, it requires obedience. It requires continual obedience. And we think about that measuring. It wasn't just figurative and and showing, you know, it was for a purpose. Because in that, within that measuring line was going to be Jerusalem, was going to be God's people, and he was going to protect all those within that area. But in order to be within that area, they had to be faithful to God. So this evening, we're going to close with that thought. This evening, as you think about Zechariah, we want to ask ourselves, would we be those who would fit inside God's, Protection would it be those who be inside the city because we have obeyed God, or would we be those who joined in with the sins of Babylon? You maybe went from captive to welcome, you know, citizen of them. Maybe they, instead of coming back to God, they just went off into idolatry. Those types of individuals will not be inside that measuring line. So this evening, as you think about these things, you think about what God has done for us and what He continues to do, as we'll see it later in Zechariah, we want to make sure that we ourselves are those who fit inside that city because the church is spiritual Israel. We are God's people still today in that sense. So this evening, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. That's good. We stand and sing the song that's been selected.